today I'm walking up to their house and I've already gone to the wrong house because I don't read directions. Hey, how's it going, Barney? Thanks for having us. Um, hey, Sandy, how's it going? I'm Shelby. I have a bunch of stuff. Talk to any long-distance hiker, and you'll hear about the importance of trail angels. They offer rides, showers, or even food on long-distance hikes like the Pacific Crest Trail, which we also call the PCT. Barney and Sandy Mann, they're well-known trail angels in the hiking community. Earlier this month, I visited Barney and Sandy at their home in San Diego. They live about an hour from the PCT trailhead. If you aren't familiar, the Pacific Crest Trail is a 2,650-mile-long trail. It starts at the Mexican border, and it ends at the border with Canada. For the last 15 years, Barney and Sandy have opened up their home to PCT hikers who are just starting their journey. Luckily for me, and because all three of us are vaccinated, the couple invited me into their home the same way they welcome hundreds of hikers every summer. Well, I guess not exactly the same way. I didn't need a bed or a hot meal, but I did have a lot of gear. It just wasn't for hiking the famous PCT. Would you like some tea? I would love some tea. Thank you, guys. Decaf or calf? Decaf. I'm Shelby Stanger, and this is Wild Ideas Worth Living. This is a cool mug. It says yeah. Crest Trail. And on the other side, it says Frodo, actually. Oh, that's so cute. I feel really lucky. Trail angels are special people. They're magical, surrounded by a sense of awe and mystique. Barney and Sandy are seriously some of the kindest people I've met. They not only help the hikers, but they also organize volunteers to make sure that the PCTers get off to a good start. On a typical spring evening, Barney and Sandy Mann have up to 40 through hikers sleeping in their backyard before they start their long trek north. The couple provides hikers with meals, stories, songs, and early morning rides to the trailhead. Do you want to just take me through what like a typical morning is of hosting someone on the trail? So, um, we serve breakfast at 5.30. It's the same every morning. You want so to jump in. 4.30, the, uh, yeah, you can tell. At 4.30, <laughs> our alarms go off. And it felt for a while like the movie Groundhog Day. Every morning we get up and we uh, slice fruit. We bake either uh, muffins or... Um, no, we bake muffins. We either bake pumpkin muffins, or blueberry. Oh, yeah. Uh, serve steel cut oats. Um, warm up the frittata. Warm up the frittata. The next morning we get up, do the same. So actually one morning I set my alarm to the song that begins the movie Groundhog Day. Uh, I got you, babe. And it, she laughed <laughs> the first morning. A few mornings later, it got annoying. Said, anyway, we're serving breakfast to uh, uh, those who are going out that day. Which may be 20, maybe 12, maybe 30. And the others are still trying to sleep in the tents who are going out the next morning. Uh, in the meantime, our drivers are arriving. Right. Because we have a, a cohort of, uh, uh, I think the last year it was 51 drivers. And they're driving from your house to Campo, which is the start of the PCT. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll be back in San Diego. Uh, they leave here by 6, and uh, we'll be back in San Diego by 9 and get on with the rest of the day having already lived an adventure.
Barney and Sandy started hosting a few hikers back in 2006, and they've become pretty well known, actually legendary, in the Pacific Crest Trail community. Among hikers, they go by their trail names. Barney is known as Scout and Sandy is Frodo. Trail names are just one part of the long distance hiking culture that the couple loves. Scout, which is Barney, and Frodo, Sandy, hiked the entire PCT themselves in 2007. At the time, Frodo worked as a teacher and Scout was an attorney. These days, they're retired, but being trail angels became another type of career all on its own. Planning, organizing, and executing responsibilities. During the off-season, they still get to pursue their love of the great outdoors. I'd love to kind of start at the beginning. How did each of you fall in love with backpacking? You go first. You're uh, older. I was 13 years old in a Boy Scout troop. My parents didn't camp, I think, in their lifetime. Dad turned 97 yesterday. In their lifetime, they have camped in the outdoors five times, each time saying, we'll never do it again. But they took me to Boy Scout meetings. Um, and at age 13, we went backpacking, went on a 50-mile backpack in the Sierra Nevada. I was the smallest kid out there, always been the smallest boy in my classes. It was no fun. I barely maybe tipped a scale at 80 pounds. I had a pack that weighed almost half my weight. It rained. We didn't promise the Sierra Nevada snow and shooting stars. It rained much of the week. But out there... <laughs> Things they used to see in my TV, my little TV screen, you know, Davy Crockett in the outdoors. It's real. And bears are not behind bars. And we saw beavers. We saw the entire week, uh, two other small parties of people. And I fell in love with it out there. And as long as I could walk and keep up, I was the same as the big boys. And that was special. And I'm glad I did because if I wasn't a backpacker when I met uh, that Sandy, I think she says that she wouldn't have married me. That's true. So I am a bit younger than Scout. Uh, I'm the middlest of five children. I have two older brothers, one one and a half years, one three years older. Um, and they were in Boy Scouts, and they got to go backpacking. So, of course, that was something that I wanted to do. Um, but it wasn't so easy for me. I had to wait until I was between my sophomore and junior year in high school before I ever got to go backpacking. And that was with a church group. Um, and I had really always enjoyed camping I think I had an epiphany in Zion and a second one in Yosemite about, you know, this is the kind of place I want to spend time in. So I started backpacking at the age of 15, and it just kind of took off from there. We took our kids backpacking. Our son went backpacking three times when he was before he was a year old or around that time. We never had a first date, but we had a first backpack. Right. You guys keep calling each other Frodo and Scout. Those are your trail names, right? How did you get those? Mine's a fairly short and easy story, but I love her story more. <laughs> uh, 2003, we're hiking the John Muir Trail, and this is our first long hike. Uh, two, it's going to be uh, just over two weeks long. We're really jazzed. We did it from north to south, started the floor of, of uh, Yosemite Valley, and we're hiking up, and the first day we're going to climb Half Dome. After a few hours, a young man just out of high school attaches himself to us. Uh, he was... Obviously, feeling a little bit lonely. We we two look like parental types, and after three but hours, a conversationalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. thoughtful we're, young we're, man. We're chatting for three hours. At the end of three hours, I hear this question from right behind me from him, and the question was, "What's the most important thing you've done in your life?" Well, I had a number of 
probably truthful answers at that time. I've been married for 20 plus years, raised three kids. But the answer that came out of my mouth was I was scoutmaster for a large Boy Scout troop for five years. And scoutmasters are a bit pretentious. As well as the book we had torn up, and back in that day, instead of reading a book on your phone, you'd actually tear up a book in sections, maybe 100 pages each. You could mail sections to yourself up ahead with and, your resupply. And the book we had done that with was To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh. And who would not want to be named after nine-year-old Scout Finch? So that's how Scout came about. Scout's the storyteller. So actually, when, when hikers arrive at our house, so we pick them up at the airport, they come to the house, we give them kind of an orientation and show them what's what and where the bathrooms are and where the, you know, all this stuff, where they're supposed to wash their hands and brush their teeth, et cetera. It takes Scout half an hour. It takes me 10 minutes. I'm the scientist. He's the storyteller. Anyway, so in 2006, we were following a number of hikers online, their trail journals, and there were too many hikers whose trail names were confusing. Well... Fast forward to 2007, Scout has decided actually in 2006 that when we start our PCT hike, he wants to commemorate it. Well, it's going to be our 30th wedding anniversary summer. And this woman has put up with me that long, and I really wanted to get her something special. Oh. And she's not normally a jewelry person, but I commissioned a Pacific Crest Trail ring. Yeah, he designed it and, and had somebody up in Oregon work very hard to, to get what he had in mind and to make that. So I'm oblivious. He's showing this to hikers who are staying with us. And then when we start the trail, he gives it to me and tears fall mostly on his part. <laughs> um, anyway, so I have this ring and a bunch of the hikers who had stayed with us who, who knew about the ring came to me at the kickoff and said, we know your trail name. You are the ring bearer. You have to be Frodo. And it, I was resistant for a couple of weeks, but eventually you just kind of, when, when you start introducing yourself to other hikers, that way you know you've totally capitulated. And to this day, she still yeah. wears the ring. Yeah. So it's it's got the um, PCT symbol on it. It's got the monument at the Mexican border, Mount Shasta, Mount Hood, and the monument at the Canadian border on it. How does somebody get a trail name? Usually they do something really stupid. You're right. <laughs> Like a pepper sprays himself with pepper spray. Or you could be the guy who's at the resort at mile 110 called Warner Springs that is closed now, unfortunately. Big hot spring pool. Um, there's like a little girl's birthday party, like a five-year-old birthday party going on. And they're talking about little ponies. And they're arguing about who gets to be Rainbow Sparkles. I'm Rainbow Sparkles. No, no I'm Rainbow I'm Sparkles. Sparkles. So this hiker turns to his buddy. on. They're lounging on these chairs. And he says... No, I'm Rainbow Sparkles. So he became Rainbow Sparkles, which he wore with pride. So your first Pacific Crest Trail trip. Our only. Your only. What was that like for you? And, and how was it so impactful for you that you decided to like make it such a huge part of your life? Your earrings say PCT on it. <laughs> I'm in this house and there's PCT signs, oh, everywhere. art everywhere. The mugs we're drinking tea from are Pacific Crest Trail. I mean, why are you always looking at me like I'm supposed to answer first? Because I love you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we actually started hosting hikers before we hiked the PCT. Um, we kind of discovered ultralight backpacking back in the 2003. We did the John Muir Trail and tried that out just to see, can we do these big mile days, ultralight stuff? And will we come off at still wanting to do a through hike? On the PCT, yeah. yeah. And yes and yes, we did our PCT hike in 2007. We started hosting because there's one way to um, whet our appetite. Because one of the things... 
about doing it through hike is you have to really, really want to do it. To be so, successful. Because otherwise, it's too painful. Um, you have to really too want achy. to do it. When we did our hike, I was looking forward to this. I thought, oh, this will be great. The scenery will be amazing. It'll be so, you know, a lot of variety. It's going to be about the physical challenge and about the scenery. And it wasn't. It was about the people and the community. And that surprised me a little bit. But that really became very important to us as we were hiking. I could probably sit here today and if someone walked in the door that I'd met for 10 minutes on the trail in that year, you would watch two long lost cousins getting together, hugging each other and starting to trade stories. Do you have a story from the trail that first, that <laughs> just one story that was like very, that you'd love telling? The problem is I have too many and, and, and they're probably too long. What one, what one short? Was there a good moment or was there a really hard moment? On the trail where you're like, I'm over this. There was never a, I'm over this moment. There were hard moments, but it never, it, the, the next thought wasn't, I'm over this. The next thought is, how are we going to handle this? Yeah. Because we had a, we had a lot of really hard moments on the trail. Yeah. We never got sick, which was thankfully, helpful. And we didn't have any major injuries. Scout broke a rib. Well, um, you did have when you broke rib. your teeth. I broke my teeth. Okay. So how did you break your teeth? So this was just north of the California-Oregon border. And um, I've stopped to do my business in the bushes and scouts gone ahead. We, When we hike, we, we try to have a little bit of time apart. So one of us will go ahead and we'll say, you know, we'll meet in an hour or we'll meet at the next junction or the next stream crossing. So scout's sitting down working on his journal as I'm catching up to him. Um, and I just, I don't, tripped on this teeny tiny rock and I fell like a tree. I, di I mean, I didn't even know I was falling until I was down. And I hit a rock with my tooth. I'd had no scratches on me, but I knocked out one tooth and broke the other one. And my two front top teeth. Um, so I looked for the pieces of the broken one, which were too small. But I pushed the other one back in and kept hiking on to find Scout. Um, and luckily, we were near a dirt road, so we got a... We I were, see her coming at me, yeah. and I could tell the moment something is wrong. I mean, the, the, there is dirt on her front shirt, and her face is just... Something is very, very wrong. And then I see her open her mouth, and one tooth is not quite dangling, but it's, it, you can see it's, it's, it's lower than the other. It's out, of its, it's out of its socket. And the other one half is gone. We are 20 miles, uh, 20 trail miles from Ashland. It's a Sunday, which would prove to be critical because dentists don't come out on Sunday. And we needed to get help. And we had no cell phone. But Red Baron came along and said, here, take my cell phone. I'll get it from you in town. And uh, Filthy Figaro came along and we knew his mom was in Ashland. And he said, here, let me call my mom. We keep on offering to take her pack or not offering <laughs> to tell her we want to take her pack. And she would say, no, it's my mouth that hurts. Not my body. <laughs> not my body. I had to keep my tongue on the broken one, but broken tooth because the pulp was exposed. Anyway, long story short, we got into Ashen, went to the emergency room. The doctor said, it's Sunday evening. You're not going to see a dentist. Yes, we have a dentist on call, but that's why they're dentists and not doctors. They so don't, they don't have to do this kind of stuff. On the weekend. Luckily, Dr. David Lair um, had been a Boy Scout leader. And he was the dentist on call that night. So he met us in his um, office, which was just across from the motel where all the hikers stay. He spent two hours with us. And I was his assistant. He'd have me hold stuff, the lights. Uh, he actually rebuilt 
the one tooth that had broken in half. And the other one, the first thing he did was take an x-ray and he said, the nerve is still attached. We can maybe save it. So he reseated it and then he built a, a bridge. And Shelby, you're looking at Frodo right now. This is 14 years ago. And that's how we walked out of it. Sorry. <laughs> that's how we walked out of his office after two hours. Yeah. You Very guys cool. have so many stories that give me goosebumps. <laughs> it is so cool. I mean, trail magic. You got your tooth teeth back. You went back <laughs> on the trail and eventually you finish. Yeah. One of the things about hiking the PCT or about a through hike, both of us could tell you a story or several stories from every single day on the trail. It's 14 years ago. Yeah. And for each of those, each day of those five months. You know, you look 14 years ago and a day that you're not on the trail, could you tell a story about that day? No, you don't remember no. it, but you remember what you, what happens on the PCT. Why is that? It just embeds itself in your brain differently. I think because it's being associated with so many amazing memories. You yeah. imprint differently out there. Yeah. We are different out there. You know that. And unlike most of our life, which are patterns, familiar patterns and stuff, any moment around a bend, the most amazing thing can happen. And they often do out there. Whether it's somebody, whether it's an animal, whether it's most god-awful weather you've been in. Whether uh, it's the campsite that you set up in that was just so amazing with the great view. Yeah. So you, you, you do imprint differently out there. And then when you finish a trail, that stops. What is finishing a trail like? Is it is anticlimactic? Is it amazing? Is it just like another day? It is not another day. It's an amazing feeling. Imagine some of the most ecstatic moments in your life, and that's what finishing a trail is like. Every night on the PCT, I uh, brush my teeth, and as soon as I finish brushing, I'd look up, I'd find the Big Dipper, I'd then trace the uh, trace across that one side of the uh, of the Dipper six lengths out to the North Star, and I'd look at it and I think about it, and I think about that's where I'm heading. And you could probably see that ninety percent of the time because yeah. it wasn't cloudy. Yeah. Then afterwards, you get depressed. <laughs> Some of us. Some of us. Scout had issues. I'll let you tell. I'll let him tell yeah. you that story. Well, I'll, I'll tell Frodo's first. Um, <laughs> we we finished Friday night. We literally get to, back to our house at midnight Friday night. Monday morning, she is there facing down at seven thirty thirty five students in her class, and she just slipped back into her life. Uh, me, I flopped around for a month. I actually had a decision to make whether I was going to retire or not, um, and I chose not to, which was actually the right thing. Um, but it took me 30 days. Uh, I didn't shave my beard for 30 days. Uh, on a long trail, we have a, usually a baggy wallet. You've taken your license and a, one credit card and a few bills and maybe, maybe something else. And that's your baggy wallet. I didn't, uh, I, I couldn't take the things out of my baggy wallet and put in my regular, regular wallet. And actually at the end of the month, I stood there and looked at the mirror for about 10 minutes before I finally took out the scissors and cut off my five-month beard and then and then shaved. I knew I needed to. I knew yeah. it to, I, I needed to move on. And then I went back uh, uh, for being a lawyer a uh, half-time for, for three years. I think we all know that feeling of something coming to an end and not being able to quite let it go. I imagine that sensation is even stronger with an experience as magical as hiking the entire Pacific Crest Trail. I've heard from so many PCTers that the people you meet on the trail become family, which means trail angels must be like fairy godparents. 
When we come back, Scout and Frodo share all the planning that goes into hosting so many hikers, and they explain what prompted them to become trail angels. listening to music while I make dinner or when I need to fully focus, which is a lot of the time. So I was stoked when Sono sent me the new Rome portable speaker. I own a lot of portable speakers and this one is superior to anything I've ever had. It was easy to set up with my phone and it automatically switches from Wi-Fi to Bluetooth wherever you go so you don't have to think about your speaker, just your playlist. It even tunes itself to your surroundings so the sound is always clear perfectly balanced like you're in your own recording studio which is very cool for a podcast person who loves good sound like me best of all this thing is durable and waterproof so it'll be coming with me to the beach this summer you can discover sound made easy at sonos sonos.com Every thru-hiker I've ever talked to has a trail angel story. Someone gave them a ride into the nearest town or opened their home for a shower and a home-cooked meal. These angels, people like Scout and Frodo, they restore your faith in humanity. It takes a lot more than just kindness, though, to welcome a thousand people into your home over two months during hiking season. When I toured their house, I saw the spreadsheets where Scout and Frodo organized everything from flight information to dietary restrictions for each hiker that stays with them. Having had their own trail angels on their own PCT hike, Scout and Frodo know the importance of providing this kind of kindness to other hikers. I want to hear a little bit more about the trail magic that you experienced on the trail that's like you've taken into giving to other people. We are approaching Snore Pass. Yeah. And it's a hard hitch, we know from there. Uh, we actually originally hadn't planned to go to northern Candy Meadows. Where is this? Snore Pass? Uh, Sonora Pass. So it's towards the northern end of the High Sierra. Right. North of Yosemite. Okay. Actually, it, originally, my parents were supposed to pick us up there and bring us our resupply. But my father had just had heart surgery. <laughs> Um, unexpectedly. So we were on our own, but we needed to get food. And so there's a place called North Kennedy Meadows. Um, it was kind of a little resort where you could ride horses and stuff like that. And they had a little store and a little cafe. Yeah, we knew we could resupply. And we can see this pass for the last 45 minutes as we're dropping down onto it and see maybe maybe we saw four cars during that time. Yeah. Uh, it's 10-mile hitch to Northern Kennedy Meadows. We dropped down there. And the first thing we do is, all right, where should we stand to hitch? And before we even do that, we hear a voice call out, are you Pacific Crest Trail hikers? And a woman is in a large uh, SUV with, uh, uh, with her husband, and she asks us, do you want a ride? This was Vivian, and what was his name? I don't remember. I remember his name. Every year, uh, he was a, a doctor lived in Chicago, and they go to uh, UC Berkeley summer camp. And it gets hot. It's down to 5,000 feet. And one year, uh, five or six years before us, decided to drive up the Sonora Pass 
10,000 feet plus, it'd be cooler. And they do. And these grungy people wearing backpacks come out of the woods. They start to chat with them and they realize, oh my gosh, these people are hiking from Mexico to Canada. And they take them down to Kenny Meadows, the nearest place, and they treat them to a meal and they drop them back off. And so every year since then, one day they would drive up to Sonora Pass and they would sit and wait. And this year it was... And we were the lucky ones that We year. were lucky ones. Wow. They drove us down, treated us to a meal, and they, they were tripping over themselves, wanting to hear our stories. And as if we had discovered long last family. Yeah, that was great. And they were trail angels and that was trail magic. So what is a trail angel? Um, a trail angel is anyone who does something else, who does something nice for a hiker. And it can be as simple as the guy in the North Cascades who's sitting there having lunch. We come up and uh, to where he is at the trail junction. We all admire the uh, mountain goats out in the distance. And he's finishing. And he looks at us, realizes we're out for a long time, and says, would you like my last piece of pizza and I have this soda? He has just been a trail angel. And what he has done is trail magic. And it could also be hosting 40 people at your house at night. Right. Yeah. Uh, simply giving a, a, a hiker a ride into town. It can be large and small. So when did you guys start really opening your door to others full time? Um, probably, two, I would say 2008. Yeah, that's when numbers got up above 100. And and so the, the house is set up for that about two months a year. And then there's some preparation in the months beforehand. What does that look like? Nowadays, it looks like a lot of computer communication and stuff like that. So um, first of all, we in January, we meet with our, our San Diego volunteers who are drivers. And they also, some of them will just come and hang out in the afternoon to help with hikers, drive hikers to the AT&T store, or if they have lots of packages to the post office that's a half mile away. Um, anyway, lots of ways that people can volunteer. So we'll meet with them in January and talk about systems that worked and what do we need to improve and who wants to do what when. In 2019, I think I wrote uh, just over 80 thank you notes to people who had volunteered to help us out. So there's not only people who come and stay with you, but there's people who volunteer. Yeah. 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 About uh, And yeah, we're also organizing our live-in volunteers because we have people who have hiked the trail who want to help out. So they'll come and live with us for a week and help hikers in any way they can. They help pick up hikers at the airport. They help drive hikers to the trail. They help hikers figure out what gear they actually need. Um, They'll help us cook. They'll do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, we absolutely need that with 40 people a night. You have a beautiful, comfortable home, but it's not a mansion. No. And you host so many people here. Yep. How how do you do it? Well, I stress about it. (laughs) (laughs) I enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah. So if you count out, you know, all the spaces and stuff like that, it really doesn't quite add up to 40, which is where we draw, we say we draw the line. Then, you know, you draw the line at 40 and then you go to the airport and there's some forlorn looking person with a backpack looking like they don't know what they're doing. And you say, do you need a place to stay? Are you going to be, you know, are you through hiking the PCT? So then the number goes up to 41. This is great, you guys. Uh, okay, so this is the this is the dining room where all the food happens. It's a perfect oh, kitchen. Dinner happens outside. Okay. Breakfast oh, happens in here in two shifts. Pro uh, and I trade off, and we'll have um, uh, five or six hikers with the. Uh, well, when I do it with chefs hats, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll set up you know for, for, uh, for salad, 
Uh, we'll have three or four people working on salad. We often do uh, uh, sautéed vegetables because it's easy and Great. it's fun and they taste good. And people are slicing and dicing. Uh, we kind of have like five or six entrees that we yeah. rotate. Um, we make, so my specialty is make stuffed shells, which is kind of like cheap, yeah. cheap and easy lasagna. Um, we do uh, chicken paprikasht oh. with biscuits. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of these people, no offense to millennials, uh, <laughs> fewer people seem to know how to cook. Yes. And so we'll get here and I'll, I'll show someone you know, how, how to saute or how to whatever. And they go, oh my God. You know, thank you, Scott. Or especially biscuits. So it's from really easy from Bisquick. And, and they make beautiful biscuits you know, that, that are fresh hot out of, hot of the oven. And they go, so this was them. actually yeah, fairly easy. Yeah, thanks, yeah. Thank yeah. you for teaching me to saute. <laughs> yeah, yeah to make biscuits and stuff. That's fun. Do you have any more stories about people who've come here? Like any wild nights or fun nights, memorable? Memorable. Um, early on, back in the day when we used to, uh, the numbers were such we could sit around the dining room table, maybe have you know, 15, 17. Uh, that hasn't, for dinner. For dinner. That hasn't happened for a long while. We were sitting around dinner. There were a number of Europeans who were dominating the, the conversation. And there's one young man uh, who was sitting there uh, fairly quietly. And as the meal begins to wind down, he says, yesterday I got out of the army and the table grows silent. He had been um, uh, stationed in Iraq. He would um, uh, be out for 12, 14 hour days and said, I would come back to base and I just parked myself in front of the computer and get lost. And one day I came across a Pacific Crest Trail journal and I was hooked. And I decided I wanted to do this. And before he picked up his fork, began eating again, he looked at us around the table and said, the reason why I'm hiking the Pacific Crest Trail is because I do not want Iraq to be the seminal event of my youth. Yeah. Then we also had the Israeli who was determined to get to the trail by himself. He didn't need help, except that when he got to REI, his credit card didn't work. And he had no way to deal with it. And he realized that it wasn't going to work anywhere. The banks were closed in Israel. Right. He couldn't make any phone calls. And he's there. He's got no cash and a dead credit card. So he calls us and he comes and stays with us for two or three days, three days. Um, At one point, I think we were making, oh, I was making cupcakes for dessert. So I'm mixing up the batter, mixing up the frosting. I don't remember what, but... Here's the beaters, and they have stuff left on them, and we always let our kids lick the beaters. So Scout comes and takes the beaters and turns to this guy. Do you remember his name? I don't remember his name. Yeah. And I give him one, and he looks at me like, what is this? What am this? I supposed to do with and this? And I just take the other one. I go, I, with my tongue out, I just lick it. He goes, oh. He had never done that. He actually wrote us a letter at the end saying that he wished his parents were like us. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I like to do is maybe every other evening – after dinner, and there's a little bit of a lull before um, uh, before people actually end up in bed. And I'll break out my guitar in here and start doing uh, old folk songs as old standards. Uh, as a summer camp director, I used to lead you know 100 kids in singing. Adults never get to do a sing-along. When's the last time as an adult right. that you've been able to be in a sing-along? And they're sitting in here at songs they know. And, and sometimes we end up with like 30 people in this room. 
Yeah, and yeah. doing silly camp songs so repeat like, what, after me. What is one? I lo- I'd love to hear one. Uh, I um, I usually start out with um, with John Denver, uh, uh, Country Roads. Even even the uh, Europeans seem to know that. Um, Leaving on uh, a jet Silly plane. songs such as um, um, uh, mm-hmm. the um, the lion sleeps tonight. So you get people doing the chorus, and you try and coax someone to doing the high part. Get the weem away. Yeah, 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 the weem away. In fact, one night we were doing that. And had a gentleman from uh, Japan. Uh, Who didn't Mr. speak much English. No, didn't speak much English, Mr. Cup. Yeah. So we're sitting there doing the line sleeps tonight, and we're all in the chorus now doing the uh, away part. away, away. This beautiful they're... male falsetto from about 10 feet away on the couch starts coming out of Mr. Cup's mouth. It surprised Perfect, everybody. On pitch, surprised us all. And it was just that great. Was great. I long to hear you away, rolling river, oh Shenandoah, I long to hear you away, I'm bound away. Cross the wide Missouri. It's so cool to become part of this community and to meet good, genuine people along the way who are willing to offer help. It can be scary to go on an adventure like the PCT, especially if you're doing it solo. Being through hikers themselves, I knew Scout and Frodo would have some really deep knowledge on what it takes to hike the entire 2,650 miles. So what what should you know if you're going to do something like this, and how should you be prepared? So I'm surprised at the number of people who come here who have never slept outdoors before. And then they go hide the PCT? That's insane. Yes. They have, they have, um, uh, or they've um, never hiked more than five miles at a time. They've quit their job. They've put their stuff in storage. They told all their friends. Yeah. We get hikers who, after the first 20 miles, they get to Lake Morena and then they get a ride back here or we pick them up and they just say, I just can't do this. We get the phone call. They, they, they literally are crushed. They, yeah. The first 20 miles are really hard. They tend to be waterless most most years. They have a couple steep climbs, including toward the end, a 1,200-foot uh, climb that's really exposed, the classes switchbacks. And when I say crushed, you can literally see it on their face. They had this dream. They knew what they were doing for the next five months. And they just found it, it was way, way too tough. Yeah. You know, I mean, that doesn't mean that that hiking the PCT is impossible or super, super difficult. It just means you have to you have to prepare yourself mentally and physically. So if you're going out there not in shape, you got to plan on, you know, taking lots of time. You're not going to do 20 mile days. Um, You have to really, really want to do this. You have as Barney says, you have to be really resilient. Yeah. How do you learn resiliency? Yeah. That is that is a question I've never been asked before. Um, it's kind of something you have to grow up with. You have to you have to be faced with challenges and overcome them. So you can probably teach yourself to be resilient, and that is literally say, "I will be open to change." But um, that's a hard one because yeah. we, we are so we all uh, we all tend to um, get really wedded 
to the way we do things. When I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail in 2007, I had taught backpacking and Boy Scouts. I've been doing it for, for 40 years. And out there, I saw things that I never, I would have told people you should never do this. And yet I saw for this environment, this worked and I changed. So you must know people who've turned back, right? Let's tell about Diane, uh, by, about Hopeless. Um, French hiker, young woman, very enthusiastic, but not terribly experienced, um, starts her first day and takes her two days to get to Lake Morena, which is typical, which is 20 miles. Um, usually you don't start out, you know, 20 miles a day if you're, unless you're really experienced. But at some point she got herself tangled up in the chaparral. Dehydrated. Yeah. Lost. And sh she literally describes crawling. Dumping her pack because she couldn't get out with her pack on and crawling through the bushes to try and get to an open area and came upon somebody who helped her. And then they went back and got her pack. But she got to Lake Marina and called and we picked her up and brought her back here. I'm and going she home. Was, yeah. To France. But then she thought, well, I'll stick around and help out for a couple of days. And then she made some friends with some other overseas hikers who were going to start in a couple of days. And she went out there with them. And she did great. She did the whole thing. She became a, a very strong, confident hiker. We're still in touch with her. Yeah. Uh, she's in medical school now and yeah. doing well. But her trail name became Hopeless. Because when she came back here, that's what she was. What's the best advice you've ever been given on the trail? Hike your own hike. Don't start out too fast. Never quit on a rainy day. Oh, that too. <laughs> oh, and Girl Scout told us every day find something to shout for joy about. Oh, yeah. Scout and Frodo definitely have a lot to shout for joy about. They basically host an adult summer camp with community meals, sing-alongs, and lifelong bonds with new friends. But there's a ton of work that goes into grocery shopping, helping folks from Europe with foam plans, and organizing hikers and volunteers. Frodo and Scout do it all free of charge. I was so curious about their why. What motivated them to open up their home and spend so much time with complete strangers? People ask us often, why do you host people, and especially the numbers get so high, and you have people completely invade your life for two months. And we don't accept donations. If there's one thing I could wish for in this world, it'd be, it would be that there'd be more kindness. Uh, we have people write us all the time, especially, especially internationals, they say, no one would ever do this in Europe. Uh, we've, we haven't seen that at all. And to have someone, you know, uh, an American open their house, uh, uh, feed us and basically we treat everyone here whether you're 18 or 70 as if you're one of our children <laughs> in the nicest way we don't yeah. discipline <laughs> <laughs> um, and I feel like we're sending out in the world this wonderful insidious wave of kindness it's amazing you guys published your like phone number I mean everything on online you yep. know we live in a, an age where like you're not supposed to publish your address or your number and you're like, no, I'm going to publish my 
information where I live. I want you to come stay here and nothing has been taken from you. You've never had an issue. Nope. People are basically good and you give them the opportunity. Um, and people who want to do the PCT in particular yeah. are good. Yeah. When you see someone on the trail well, and you, you know, and sometimes you're out in places where the only people out there are PCT through hikers and you know that when you meet that person, they'll give you the shirt off their back. And you do the same for them. After we did the uh, our through hike, I came back, and I've said it since then. Out there, I found the community I always wanted to be with, and I never knew existed. The community seems really incredible. There's just this connection between through hikers with each other. So other than hiking the trail, which you know a lot of people aren't going to be able to do, how can people become more like you? So one of the things that we do say um, is, uh, especially when people offer something, um, we'll ask them to, p- to pay it forward. And we get we get notes and letters and cards. Uh, I have a whole, we have a stack of cards. People tend to write us around Christmas time, thank you, whatever. And, and uh, saying that the, you know, the next time that they had a situation, we are, all of us, all the time, we are presented with opportunities to do something nice. All of us are. Take advantage of that. Sometimes it feels a little embarrassing or whatever, but do it next time. And it, it's this wonderful, positive feedback loop. You do it once, that felt good. Yeah. And you're more inclined to do it again and again and again. How does one become a trail angel? So I actually had someone ask that uh, recently, a, a guy who had read my book, A Journey's North. He lives up in Washington and said, you know, I would really like to, to help out hikers. I want to hike someday myself, uh, a significant portion, maybe the whole thing. How can I touch this? And what I suggested to him was there are a number of passes up in Washington. Hike, uh, hikers get to them. Just go one day. Passes a, where there's a road. Yeah, sorry, to passes where there's a road. Park your car, have a cooler with, with some cold drinks in it. Maybe uh, uh, maybe it made some sandwiches. If you want to get, if you want to get more. Um, fruit. Yeah, a, a fresh fruit, chocolate milk. The little, the little, the little chocolate milk boxes. Got to be cold. Better though. than beer. <laughs> <laughs> and sit there for a couple hours. Hikers will come out, and you will get to be a trail angel on trail magic. Yeah, sometimes people barbecue things. Anytime you pass by a trailhead uh, during those months, hikers out there, be on the lookout. Yeah, offer a ride. Every act of kindness, big or small, can go a long way. And for Scout and Frodo, being trail angels brings them a ton of joy. The people they meet and the kindness they offer and share with strangers fills their cup and connects them to this amazing community, this family that they love. That sounds like trail magic to me. Thank you so much to Scout and Frodo for welcoming me into your home, for giving me a tour, for singing me songs, for sharing tea, and sharing such wonderful wisdom and stories. Because of COVID-19, Scout and Frodo haven't decided if they'll be hosting hikers in 2022. They're just waiting to see what happens, and they said they'll make a decision this fall. You can find out more about their hosting and check out Scout's book, which I highly recommend reading, Journeys North, at barneyscoutman.com. That's B-A-R-N-E-Y. S-C-O-U-T-M-A-N-N. You can also follow him on Instagram 
at journeys.north. Wild Ideas Worth Living is part of the REI Podcast Network. It's hosted by me, Shelby Stanger, written and edited by Annie Fassler and Sylvia Thomas, and produced by Chelsea Davis. Our executive producers are Paolo Motola and Joe Crosby. As always, we appreciate when you follow the show, when you rate it, and when you review it. And yes, I read every single review. So please take two minutes to write a review wherever you're listening. And remember, some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. Go out there, be kind, give back. Thank you.